Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to Metron Live Podcast, coming to you from the Metron community. Metron people, would you let the podcast people know that we are glad they're listening? As always, uh, thanks to Charles McFall, the rock god of podcasting. Uh, I do have a good word for you today. Usually I'm uh, in a series month to month, but uh, because October has been different and because we'll be gone next week, uh, I wanted to share this word. And it's... I, I can go on without confirmation, but man, confirmation makes it so much easier. Confirmation just, it's like the, it's like putting the, um, oil on the axles or whatever, whatever you do to make, I mean, you can drive without it, but man, it makes it so much better. And, um, uh, even with, uh, the message that Sky sent, uh, was, um, <laughs> Are we giving up on him? <laughs> you know what? It's fine. At, th- at this point, it, I'm just... No, it's, it's fine. If, if he comes in, we'll figure it out. But it's, I, don't want, I don't want him to be stressed out. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm, right now, I'm um, being very intentional about, intentional about how I respond to things that typically would stress me out because I have learned that um, if you don't learn the right way to interact, you go another another trip around Sinai. So uh, when you when you have repeat things in your life, I'm having I'm learning myself to say, okay, what am I not picking up here? So here today may have been about this. Last time he was here. He was late, and it stressed me out. Today, he's late, and look, no stress. So this was not about. <laughs> this is not about him. This is about my personal evolution. Well done, good and faithful servant. All right. So, um, but the fact that you're here with what, even with what you just said, and then um, I always can tell when a word is gestating. I can I can feel when it's sort of forming, and um, but I'm not exactly sure where it's going, especially when it's especially when it's something that I've talked about before. I'll think, well, why am I so? This isn't doesn't feel like new information. So why am I so compelled with it? Because if it is a, an actual word, I can't get away from it. I'll I'll just be thinking about it. I'm not, I'm sitting in front of the TV, but I'm not. I'm not watching TV. I'm thinking about what I want to talk about. And then, um, you know, I have, I never require them to do this. Sometimes it comes from a, uh, outside so- or, uh, unexpected source. But, uh, the scripture says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And even a couple of phrases, Sky, that you just made just right there, I thought, that's, that's a confirmation. It's exactly what I'm talking about today. And um, some of y'all know Doug Wentz. Um, Doug, he's he's out there. Doug's in the future. When he's speaking prophetically, he's he's very ahead of the curve. Uh, but once in a while, I'll go 
read one of his posts. He's very prolific. He posts a lot of stuff. And uh, this has happened on many occasions when I'm just sort of like, I know there's something gestating here, but I can't, where is it going? And uh, it, it hadn't happened in a little while, but I just happened to look at his page, and he, I'm, I'm going to show you something that he posted. I said, okay, that's it. And again, I don't have to have confirmation. I'm at a point now where I, I know the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I don't, you know what I mean? If all of y'all stood up today and said, you're wrong, you're not anointed, I'd be like, well, y'all are just wrong. Thanks for coming. I mean, really, there was a time that would have really, you know, made me question myself. Now I would just think, well, no, you, you just don't get it yet. But, uh, but uh, what I'm telling you is the truth. Um, but, um, but the thing about a confirmation, it's just this nice little, spiritual vitamin B12 shot that you're like, you know what, you are, you're in the zone. You're still in the zone. You know, you married people that, you know, you can tell we're going to go the distance. Any of y'all been married for a long time? Like, we're not, I'm not looking for anybody else. They're not looking for anybody else. So it's not, it's not that you're being, um, it's not that you're being paranoid about, uh, thank you, Russ. It's not that you're being paranoid about your, relationship but also once in a while there's a little something that the other one will do that you think well they really do they really do love me i really am with the right person is that or are you all also jaded in your marriages that you're like nah but you know or even if you're not married there'd be something a little something that you think oh you know what i am with the right person not that you really doubted it but it's just you know that's why it's important even if you've been married for a long time to still compliment somebody and still, you know, go on a date and that kind of stuff. So, um, let me, let me just get into this. Um, my title is in the beginning was the word deconstructing the temporal to find the eternal. I remember, um, some years ago, what? You you told Reggie what? Oh, Lord Jesus. He still me. <laughs> Some of the anecdotes that Reggie and Sonia tell me about their cruises, not the least of which is this most recent one. I said, Reggie, I, I pray for you every morning. I don't, I don't pray for Sonia because I'm pretty sure she can just take care of herself. But with you, I'm like, God, give him strength. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, some... Years back, somebody wrote me a message. They said, I love the way you deconstruct the scriptures. And at first, I'd never really heard that word used before. And it, when I first looked at it, I thought, wait a minute, is, is that a good thing? Deconstructing? I mean, that's, I don't think they would have encouraged that in my Bible college. And, uh, but then the more I thought about it, I thought, no, that's, that's another way of saying rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it means you take it apart to see what's in there. This is where fundamentalism comes from. People read a passage and they just go, oh, well, that's, that's the word of God. I don't question it. And that's, that's not how the scriptures, holy writ is supposed to be used. Uh, if you read something that troubles you, confuses you, oppresses you, it's your responsibility to look a little deeper. You remember back in the, I don't know if they still make these, remember years ago they used to have those, um, um, those, pu- not puzzles, uh, hidden eye or what's, 
what am I? It's something I. There was a word, yeah, there was a word for it. And you, like, if you keep staring at it long enough, another image would appear. Magic eye, or is, is that what it was called? Anyway, that's kind of the way I feel about the scriptures. If if I read something up that I think that doesn't something about that doesn't jive with me, it doesn't make me want to throw my Bible away. In fact, and this is kind of one of the reasons why I want to talk about this today. I have um, I read after a lot of people who are on a similar trajectory to mine, and I'll notice that sometimes somebody will post something and they say this pastor doesn't believe the Bible anymore, and they're saying it like. Like it's a positive thing. Like he's he's post-biblical. And something about that seems, isn't there a, isn't there a, um, a phrase in football called unnecessary roughness? Where it's like it's it goes beyond the bounds. It's not necessary. Football is a, a rough sport. But there, there has to be a limit. And when somebody says, I just threw my Bible away. I'm like, mm, that doesn't. That doesn't feel right. It's like when somebody says, I'm an atheist. I think that's, I don't think you're an atheist. When I, when I really communicate with them, I think, I think your issue is with organized religion and people who have done things in the name of God that are really clearly ungodly. But I don't think it's about God. I think, you know, I've said this to you many times, but years ago, the, uh, Bill Maher that's on HBO, he did a movie, because he's like an avowed atheist, and he did a movie called Religious, where he's like exposing all these, like he's, he's making a case for atheism. And I went to see it. He's a real smart guy. Uh, but I watched it. I thought, where's the controversy? I mean, about 70% of everything he said in this movie is stuff that I've been saying for years. I, I don't think your issue is with God. I think it was, I, I think it's with your sort of insane religious upbringing. And so, when when people say I don't even refer to the Bible anymore, I think well, it's it's unnecessary. It's a flag. Like what? I think you just need to know how to deconstruct it. I think you need to know how to read it. That's why I've been talking about context for years and original languages and the purpose of a of a verse and um, and even even to the point there's some things I can look into like when Moses says. God said to tell all the men to go in this next town and kill everybody, even the uh, even the women and children, unless the women are young and hot. And if the if they're hot, if they're if they're sexually desirable, keep them. I don't. I mean, I'd be happy when I meet Moses one day. I'm going to say, Mo, and you know, God did not say that. That was you. That was that was male ego speaking, saying that it was God. So. Um, I want to come back to something um, that I really believe is God-breathed. Um, I've been studying the Scriptures my whole life. Been in the ministry 52 years. I ran a Bible college. I taught Bible in a high school for two years. I mean, I've, I've spent the majority of my life around the Scriptures. Some, you know... I can't not think scripturally. Like like uh, somebody talks about anything from law of attraction to power of intention to meditation to other religions to 
reincarnation, to all of these things, my first impulse is, oh, that's like, that's like Mark eleven twenty four. I mean, my, my, it's com- I'm completely wired to build a bridge and not a wall. Um, and I'm glad for that. That to me is that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the word of reconciliation. So um, that being said, like I can read, I can read some things that Paul wrote, and I think now that sounds like the bright light out of heaven on the road to Damascus. And then I read something else he wrote and I think, ah, that sounds a whole lot of like Moses being filtered through Gamaliel who taught you. And that's, again, rightly dividing. I've said this to you before, but let me say it again. Those of you that have listened to my voice for a period of time, haven't you had to learn how to rightly divide it? Because you know, even if I'm don't bring my A game or whatever. If I'm talking, you're like, well, he was, he was all right today, but wasn't one of his best days. But it's, it's not a deal breaker. It's not like you're going to say, I'm never going back there again because you know I may circle that airport for a little while, but when I land that plane, you're like, hey, and there we are. That's why I sit through all the joking around and all the anecdotes I've heard 40 times, and sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's like, oh, here we go. I could say this story with him, but wait for it, wait for it. Wow, that was God speaking. And that's how, that's a mature relationship. It doesn't mean everything that I say is the oracle of God, but you also know when something resonates with you, you hear it. Even, Sky, even when you said, um, my teaching changed your thinking, I would even go so far as to say that's what you already deeply believed. But then I just said some things that confirmed to you that felt right. Like, yeah, that's right. That's got to be right. It wasn't new information as much as it was confirmation or a reminder of what you already knew. The, the word educate means to draw out. So uh, I can look at this. You know, I've got sort of my... Uh, phrases out of the scripture that just always resonate with me. Like, uh, uh, and I, Fred, I know this is one that uh, is near and dear to your heart, but like Genesis 126, uh, let us make people in our image and let them have dominion. That's, that's got a strong, uh, it, it has the breath of God in it, which is what inspiration means. Inspire means to breathe into. Uh, or, um, in the second chapter of Genesis, when the Creator says to Adam, who told you you were naked? See, I, that's always, that's one of my go-tos. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? The, the fall was his perception. It wasn't, the fall wasn't a real separation from God. It was, as Paul later said, he was alienated from God in his mind. So that's, I, I'm, honestly, I've never heard anybody teach on it but me. But that one, like, that one's, I go to that one a lot. Or in that, uh, somewhere around that same area when God brings the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. And whatever Adam called them is what God called them. That's huge with me. That's one of my go-tos. If you've listened to me a lot, you've heard me, I go back to that a lot because there's that, that Genesis narrative, even though I don't think it's literal, I think the earth is much older than 6,000 years. And, and when you read Genesis, clearly there were other civilizations that existed before Adam and Eve. It's just the Judeo-Christian narrative begins with Adam and Eve. So um, when I read that, I think, oh, that's very, there's a lot of truth in that. God 
brings things to us to see what we will call them. That's why when I speak a blessing over you, I say, uh, this is the day the Lord has enabled me to make. I will rejoice and be glad in you. So um, that's, and then there's, I've got several out of the Psalms that are always my, they just always have a, a glory on them. Um, and um, uh, another one is uh, Exodus 3.14. You know, who, who shall I say sent me? And the voice says, you tell him the I am sent you. That one is always one of my, like, like oh, yeah, there's a lot of things that Moses said that I think Moses, no, that was not God. But the reason I hang out with Moses is because when he hits it, and when he says, I heard the voice say, you tell him I am sent me. I'm like, yes, you did, Moses. Yes, you did. And and, and that's how we learn, you know, the, the Bible is divinely inspired, but it has... Um, it has human fingerprints all over it. And when people don't understand that, that's when they become fundamentalists. And fundamentalism is always dangerous. Um, so, uh, and I've, I could go on and on. I've got, you know, several that are just my, they're the ones that I'm always attracted to. This one right here that I'm about to show you, you're very familiar with, but it's, to me, it's probably the ultimate statement out of the Scriptures. It's the ultimate. For one thing, it came through John, and, and you could pretty much quote John on just about anything. John, you know, John seemed to be the closest to understanding the heart of Jesus. Uh, Paul was on another planet from Jesus. When you put the epistles next to the Gospels, you think, did you two ever meet? No, they didn't. In fact, the Gospels were written after the epistles to sort of, set the records, set the story straight. You know, I'm not going to go through it all again, but, uh, you know, Jesus hanging out with prostitutes and adulterous women and a, a sex worker is washing his feet with her hair. No woman ever washed Paul's feet with her hair. Paul's like, I do not allow a woman to use authority over man. I tell women to keep silence in the church. You know, <laughs> uh, the... The woman must be subservient to the man because as the man is the head of the woman, Christ is the head of the man. Like Jesus and Paul had completely different ideas of gender and equality and all. I mean, Jesus was clearly a feminist. Paul was not. That's why when, when Paul comes along and says, in Christ there's neither male nor female, I think, wow, Paul, that must have hurt. That must have hurt for you to... Because you knew it was revelation. But I'm sure... If you really wrote that, I'm sure you circled that page like, oh, really? Really? Aren't men just a little better than women? And, you know, he had enough revelation. I know, look, I know what it's like to have your tradition fight with your revelation. When you know that you know the anointing is telling you something and it feels so, it sounds so foreign to what you've been taught. You think, how do I make this jive? Because that is not what Dr. So-and-so said or, you know, my grandmother or Big Mama. Like, this sounds very different. So I know it's the truth, but wow, how if I embrace this truth, am I disrespecting my ancestors? Um, so, here it is. It's just this, it's John 1.1. 1, 1, it's in the New King James Version. And what I love about it is the three phrases that are here. I could, I could quote you the whole chapter, 
But let, let me just show you. It's, it's John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's one phrase. And the Word was with God. Second phrase. And the Word was God. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you think, yeah, we, we know that. No, I'm telling you, I've been spending my whole life trying to crack this one open. In my mind, John 1.1 is the ultimate mystery. He does not say in the beginning was the Bible. The Bible was something that was compiled in North Africa uh, some centuries after Jesus lived by a group of men uh, called the Council of Nicaea, and they decided what was the canon of the Scriptures. If you were Protestant, you were raised with uh, 39, in the Old Te- 39 cha- books in the Old Testament, uh, 27 in the New Testament. If you were Roman Catholic, there was an extra 13, which was the Apocrypha. Uh, but, but these men, there were 300 Gospels that they winnowed through and decided only these four remain. And when you read the criteria of you know what they decided, why they decided on the four, you think I, honestly, I don't see that much difference with the ones they rejected. The reason the ones you have, are familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the reason they feel more anointed is because you're more familiar with them. But when people say the Bible is the Word of God, I'm like, mm, no. The Bible contains the Word of God. It can connect you to the Word of God. But the Word of God was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Logos. The Word, in the beginning was the Word. Just that. Honestly, I could walk in here today and say, here's my Word. In the beginning was the Word. Thanks for coming. Drive safely. And it would be a valid message. That's how potent and pregnant that phrase is. In the beginning... Not religion was not in the beginning. Uh, doctrine was not in the beginning. Um, theology was not in the beginning. Uh, isms, schisms, uh, dogma, none of those things existed in the beginning. Arguing over Bible verses was not in the beginning. These are all things that came later. But in the beginning was the Word. And I don't even, as I'm saying it, it nearly feels like it's too, it's too awesome to utter out of your mouth. It's like, it's like, it's like the matrix. It's like this thing that you're not even supposed to know. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a, like it's a seek, it's a secret mystery that not everybody knows. That while all these little people are fighting with each other and even what's going on in Israel right now, it's, it, it goes back to one group interpreting their holy book a certain way, fighting with another group interpreting their holy book a certain way. It's not political, it's theological. Uh, but before any of that existed, Israel was not in the beginning. Palestine was not in the beginning. The Roman Catholic Church was not in the beginning. Protestantism was not in the beginning. Pentecostalism was not in the beginning. Speaking in tongues was not in the beginning. Water baptism was not in the beginning. The Ten Commandments was not in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. So the Word existed before the law, before the prophets, before creation, before Adam and Eve, before the foundation of the earth. However you interpret 
Genesis 1, long before um, the idea of the sun and the moon and the firmament. In the beginning was the Word. It's the most profound thing that anybody ever tapped into. I'm not even sure John understood it when he said it. In the beginning was the Word. There's, the Word is eternal. The Word doesn't have a starting place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. All right, now that one doesn't seem so revolutionary. Like, okay, the Word was with God. But that third phrase messes everything up. And the Word was God. No, Bishop, God's like an old Jewish man on a throne floating out. We saw... That painting of God's a white man touching another white man's finger. It's a beautiful painting. I've been to the Sistine Chapel and seen it. It's beautiful. But that's not God. That's what ancient people, because they couldn't explain transcendence, they had to ascribe anthropom... I never can say this word. Anthropological <laughs> attributes. They had to make God a man. <laughs> the most misogynistic theology in the world was the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Where's, where's the mother? The, the Catholics came up with Mary. You know, technically Catholicism sort of adds Mary and it makes it a, a, not a Trinity, but a, a quadrangle. But, but really the, 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 the basic is it's all, it's all a man. A man has a son. Is there a mother? If you were raised Catholic, you say, well, Mary's the mother of God. Protestants would disagree with you. Um, spirit is genderless. Um, Abraham says, the only way you can enter the covenant is to cut off the end of your penis. Sorry, I'm not trying to be provocative, but that's what circumcision is. I'm sure if people had never heard of that concept before i'm sure the men in the camp said next back that up abraham exactly what now why <laughs> we got to do what now as grown men without anesthesia <laughs> what what now is that and women didn't even ask because the women is like this is not applicable to you the only way you can be in the covenant is you find a man you marry into it you can't you can't go directly to god but before any of that existed, Moses gets Ten Commandments on Sinai, but by the end of the Torah, we've got 613 laws. Did God give him all of those laws? No. That's why if somebody, if you're LGBT and somebody tries to use the abomination word with you, you're an abomination, feel free to tell them there are over 600 abominations written in Moses' law, 17 of which you have already committed today on your way here. Wearing a blended fabric, eat shrimp, cut the side of your beard. There's all kind of, this is all information, you all know this. But before any of that happened, and even Jesus comes in and says, look, let me put an end to this. You're not separated from God, but you think you are, so I'm going to go to the cross. I'll be, I'll be wounded for your transgressions. So that you can go back to what it means to let us make people in our image. And that didn't even do it. 
I, you know, if I was Jesus, especially after the resurrection, I would have really been ticked off with people. When the scripture says, it pierced over 500 people and says, many believed, comma, but some doubted. Seriously? You saw me die on a cross. I was nailed to two pieces of wood. I've been in a grave for 72 hours. I'm back. And some of you are going, yeah, I don't know. What else you got? I would be like, you have got to be kidding me. How in the world did he not just go slap the unbelievers? Like, seriously? I didn't even have to do this. I didn't do this for me. I did it for you to change. And you're like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, Mary, Mary said he was conceived by God, but come on. That's not how, that's not where babies come from. So, <laughs> Jesus says, I'm out. I'm out of here. <laughs> it's necessary for you that I go away. And, um, so before any of this, this says, and the Word was God. The Word was not... I don't have a word for it. The Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Every time I try to teach on this, I swear I've been teaching on this since I was 13. Every time I get into it, John 1-1 is so big, I feel like I'm in a rowboat and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to the other side of this and I begin to look at the vastness of it and I think, oh snap, I'm in the Pacific Ocean. This is, it's too big. It's too awesome. It's too, it's too much. What? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God? Some people say, well, the Word was Jesus. Well, this was before Jesus. Alright. I may circle back, but let me. I need to get all this said. This is Galatians 1.15-17. This is also in the New King James Version. This is Paul trying to explain his um, conversion, if you will. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and as I've told you many times, he's not talking about an umbilical cord from his bio mom. The mother he's talking about is Judaism, the, the, the Mosaic law. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. All right. If I don't say anything else today, i got to get this said. Um, In the early part of my ministry, especially when I did a lot of street ministry and passing out gospel tracts and knocking on doors, my um, incentive was to get people to invite Jesus to come into their heart. Okay? I know I'm overusing air quotes today, but I I, I need to make a point. That was the thing. Close the deal. Get them to pray the prayer. They've got to invite Jesus in. And I, I was very good at it. I would take a verse of Scripture, 
completely out of context, Revelation 3.20, which was not talking about an individual. It's a message to the Laodicean church. But it's, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I could, man, I could, I could work you. I could walk up to somebody and say, is Jesus in your heart? And people say, I don't know. I'd, I'd knock on your chest. Because now you can't even do that. Now you're invading people's personal space. But I'd say, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice, I will open the door and come into him. And I would just keep knocking. I don't know if I was hurting people or whatever, but I was just knocking until finally people would go. <laughs> okay, okay. And I mean, I could get, I mean, I could, it nearly was like a sport with me. I mean, I hate to use that word, but it was like, yes, I got another one. It nearly, it's, there's nearly, um, something impersonal about it because it's not about, that person's need as much as it is about, yes, I got another one. Bump, bump, bump. Another one bites the dust. I mean, that's the, that's the way. And another one there, and another one there. I mean, I, I can remember, like, I, I couldn't go to sleep at night unless I'd, you know, gotten somebody to pray that prayer. How I didn't get smacked when I was, I, I, I'd go down here to the Marta station while people were waiting for the train. And I'd say, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And somebody would be waiting for the train. They'd say, no, I'm good. Uh, and i say, can I give you? I would make my own tracks. i said, say, can I give you this track to read? No, thank you. I don't want a track. So I would say, fine, I'll just read it to you while you're here. So I would read the whole thing. And then I would say, now, when you stand before God, you can never say that you didn't hear the gospel. Before he sends you into hell, this is back in my hell days, before he sends you into hell, don't come to me and say, I never knew this, because I will remind you on this day in August, 1974, that I stood in a martyr station and preached the gospel to you. I would, I mean, how did somebody not knock me out? I would go to apartment complexes and knock on the door, and if they, if they closed the door in my face, I would announce to the apartment complex, I would like to say, that it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the Day of Judgment than it will for the Garden Grove apartment complex here in Midtown. Because the gospel has come to you this day at your very door and you have rejected the gospel. And in rejecting me, you have rejected Jesus. I now officially, I tell people we're looking at me through the fish eye, I officially shake the dust off my feet from the post-apartment complex. How did somebody not just, how did, how did somebody not call the cops on me? Um, I haven't done that for years. I would dare say for the rest of my life, I will probably never, ever pray a prayer to ask somebody to, to help somebody ask Jesus to come in your heart, in your heart. Why? Because I don't think it's a real thing. Mainly because of this. When it pleased the Lord who separated me from my mother's womb, to reveal His Son in me. Let me explain. Michelangelo, incredible sculptor. He's somebody said, "How do you do these beautiful sculptures?" Because you know he he would do angels, or he would show fabric on a cloth, and it would it would look nearly real. I've seen when I, when I was in Rome, I've seen some of his stuff uh, in person, and it, you you just can stare at it forever because intricacy of feathers on a wing like how did he how do you do that out of marble and he's what he said was 
what I do is I, I look for the angel that's in the marble, the angel that's in the stone, and I remove everything that's not the angel. You say, well, I, I, before I got saved, Jesus wasn't in my heart. Yes, He was. There was just so much other stuff on top of you. You didn't have to invite something or someone in. You had to remove everything that wasn't it or Him. When it pleased, I'm telling you. When it pleased the Lord who separated me from my religious tradition. I found out I didn't have to invite Jesus in. Oh, he was, because he specifically says his son, capital S. He said, this is how I knew Jesus. Uh, I, when everything was removed from me that was not him, uh, oh, there he is. Do you understand why people are so frustrated with their salvation experience? Because they keep asking something to come in that's already there. You need to remove, you know, believe it or not, inside every one of us is a, muscle-bound, very thin, beautifully sculpted, muscular person. Every one of us men in here has six-pack abs. Eight-pack, maybe. Can you see it? No. It's buried under Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> so that if, if somebody starts working out and they get definition in their muscles... They're not inviting muscles to come into their body. They're revealing what was there all along. You don't say, wow, that muscle guy must have invited abs into his stomach. That guy must have invited pecs into his chest. He must have invited biceps into his arms. No, they were there all along. So... You mean after all these years of listening to me, you can still be amazed? That, my friends, is a miracle. This is the 10,050th sermon of mine that Roz has heard, and yet she is still amazed. It's a sign and a wonder. All right, let me show you where I was going with this. I was already, this was gestating, and then I'm going to show you Doug's post that he made. This was a couple of days ago. He says, it's his... If Jesus was saying to Moses and Elijah on the mountain, you know, he's, he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember when Jesus goes up there and his clothes turn white and suddenly the disciples see these two men flanking him. One is Moses, one is Elijah. He says, um, it's as if Moses was saying to, it was as if Jesus was saying to Moses and Elijah on the mountain, you two are the voice that raised me, but now it will be only my voice. After that, he told the Pharisees, it says in your law. Deconstruction is really a kind of honoring. It is being separated from the womb of our mother tradition. Honoring what they did means honoring what we are to do. And keeping them around is impossible because to them it would look like blasphemy. I can't tell you how true that is. Because people who are addicted to what they learned after the beginning, of in the beginning was the word. But everything that you learned, absorbed, that came post-beginning, you get very attached to it. I mean, there's certain 
gospel songs I can hear that I could I could disagree with theologically, and yet they still something you know you know what I'm talking about Eddie. There'll be something about it that it still rings true with you emotionally, and it it has really very little to do with God. It has to do with your memories of like like when you're when you're talking about the, your your mom and your aunt singing a song. A lot of the affection you have for it is not about God. It's about those women that you love, right? I mean, yes, it was God. But it was. And it was your love for them honoring their concept of God. That's what you feel connected to. Exactly. Exactly. There's a quote I've used before. It says, uh, can you remember who you were before the world told you who you should be? There's such a truth to that, and it's a parallel to our understanding of God. Can you know who God is before everybody told you who He was? Deconstruction is really a kind of honoring. It is being separated uh, from the womb of our mother tradition. Honoring what they did means honoring what we are to do, and keeping them around is impossible because to them it would look like blasphemy then and now and down the road. And I, I wrote, I, I wrote, he may be watching today or he'll watch it later. I said, I said, you've done this a lot. You've done it again. And I always quote you. You know, he's the one, he, one day he just wrote, what if it really, it's not the road to Damascus, it's the road to demask us. I was like, shut up. He posted something last night. I said, man, you are killing me. Stop. Let me show you this next one. This is not the only time Jesus said this, but I'm going to use this as a, an example. This is John 10, 34. This is when the Pharisees were uh, rebuking him because he said he was the Son of God. So he says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? He's quoting uh, Psalm 82, 6, where David said, I said that you are God's, but you will all die like men. So it's little g gods, meaning you are divine, but you're not God, capital G, creator of all things. See, when people don't have revelation, they can't compartmentalize that. If you talk about your divinity, people think, oh, you're saying you're God. Yes, I, and I'm saying you're God too. It doesn't mean I'm saying there's not a higher power. Yes, there's something that's beyond my comprehension. Of course there's intelligent design, and of course there was a creator. and of co- I mean, of course. But that entity, he, she, it, existed before we ascribed anything to it. And here, when Jesus says, this is written in your law, he's saying, I'm not part of this system. Y'all did this. That's why in my uh, book, um, First the Good News, I said, I remember when Renee was proving it, she said, there's a mistake in this. I said, why? She said, well, the pages in this chapter are all blank. I said, yeah, they're intentionally blank. The name of the chapter was Everything Jesus Said About Gay People. And it's just blank pages. Because he didn't say anything. And Jesus, look, Jesus knew all about 
sex and sexuality and gender. He says, the, you know, the woman's washing his feet with hair. He says, I know what she does. Uh, you don't have to tell me. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. Woman caught in adultery. Yeah, where are your accusers? I don't have any. Well, then you're good to go. I don't accuse you. You say it was, sorry, you say Jesus was immoral? No, I'm saying he just wasn't a part of a system that decided what morality was. He did not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Bishop, if we get rid of rules and regulations, the world's just going to go to hell in a handbasket. It's kind of heading there anyway with all the rules and regulations. It's not like the rules and regulations are helping out all that, all that very much. Thank you. It'd be different if you're like, yeah, that'll, that'll straighten them up. It's not, you keep coming up with more rules and there's just more disobedience. Um, you, if I refer to you against God, you said you heard that God is love. That's another thing that John said. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God for God is love. So you could just easily say in the beginning was love. Love existed before anything. That's why when you really are in love with somebody or you have a loving interaction with somebody or when something really is done out of love, there's, there's a feeling that's unlike anything else. It's, a, it, it's eternity. It's the feeling of inter- eternity. All right. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 3.6. This is in the International Standard Version. King James says, uh, uh, the letter kills, but the Spirit give, killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. This is what it says. I love this translation who has also qualified us to be ministers of a new covenant, which is not written, but spiritual, because the written text brings death, but the Spirit gives life. There's nothing more perverse or gross or weird or ugly or dark or demented. Nothing worse than somebody taking a verse out of the Bible and trying to clobber somebody else with it. It's the grossest, most profane thing anybody can do. It's, it's despicable. It's, 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 it's the, it's the worst. Cause you take something that was born out of the glory of God and then you put it in a written text and manipulate somebody else with it. Um, Sometime back, somebody messaged me and they said, do you have a scripture about so-and-so? Or what do you think about so-and-so? So I wrote them back briefly. I said, well, this is what I think about this. Yeah, but do you have a, a verse of scripture? I said, well, no, there's, I can't think of anything in the Bible that refers to this particular thing you're asking me about. But if you're asking what I think, this is what I think of. No, but I need a verse of scripture. I said, well, I don't have one. There's not, I know my way around the Bible pretty well. I could, I could, give you some verse of scripture but it'd be a bit of a stretch to say that it's talking about this well i need a verse of scripture I said, ma'am i don't know what it's I, you mean just make up something I, j- I just don't think there's anything in the bible that relates to what you're asking me and she's i need bible and i thought well get a concordance or google it because i can't think of anything else to to tell you um and it really made me sad for this person like that's your 
That's your only authority? Um, what about the idea of the Word being written on your heart? What about the idea of you just somehow innately knowing God or knowing the right thing to do? Is it possible that if everyone was just allowed to find what the God that was in the beginning, they wouldn't have to be micromanaged by religion? That's why, you know, Jesus could rebuke the Pharisees and in the same breath say the kingdom of God is within you. I mean, it's hard for us to believe. You can't tell me that God was in Hitler somewhere in there. But a bunch of stuff got written on him that brought death, brought literal death. But I'll tell you this, if you can really start believing that God's in everyone, it will totally change the way you uh, re react to people, respond to people. Because whatever is um, confrontational to you or or uh, aggravating to you, that, that's not the God part of them. That's why we have the concept of uh, knowing somebody after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Or deep calling unto deep. That's what unconditional love is. Unconditional love is recognizing the God in somebody. It's not putting up with all their nonsense. Talk about manipulation. I tell you what I hate is when somebody does something that they know is going to be a problem to you and then they lock you in with a Bible verse. Well, you're supposed to, I thought you were supposed to love me. You're like, you yeah, know, I'm about to love what I'm about to, like, I like don't, don't manipulate me with scriptures. Don't. If somebody, people don't even try it anymore, but when people used to try to get into Bible arguments with me, I would say to them, I'm, I'm going to block you on Facebook, and let me tell you, it's not because I'm afraid of the argument. I'm doing you a favor. Because if you really draw me out, I'm just, I'm just going to murder you. Because if you're going to play Bible wars, I know where all the, I got a bunch of hidden weapons. So if that's where you want to go, I can do it, but you're going to regret it. My blocking you and res restricting access to me is an act of mercy. I mean, I'm pretty sure if I went up to John Cena or one of these muscle guys, one of these, and, and said, "I think I can, I think I can take you," I'm pretty sure he would just say to me, "No, you can't." I don't think he would. Drag me into a ring. I don't think Mike Tyson, if I, if I met Mike Tyson and said, I don't think you're such a big deal. Mike Tyson would not need, he would have no need to punch me out. Because we all know he could. He knows he could. He knows that I know he could. What's the point of making that point again? I'm Mike Tyson. I'm not going to pull you into the ring. I'm going to break a sweat, scuff my shoes. It's like, no, trust me, I would win. You know what? I'm not going to ask Mike Tyson that. I already know that. <laughs> I already know. I'm not a threat to you. But when people, little people, when I, you know, they got them a couple of pet scriptures. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> like, really? You're going to, you're going to really pull Leviticus on me. You think 
you honestly think I don't know that verse? Put my hand on top of your head and hold you back. Leviticus. Leviticus. Okay. Get it all out of your system. <laughs> um, all right. Jean-Paul Sartre says this. Life has no meaning the moment you lose the illusion of being eternal. And this is a man who most people consider, if not an atheist, a humanist. But such a truth to that. You're eternal. Eternal. In the beginning was not only the Word, in the beginning was you. Another thing that John said, let that abide in you that you heard from the beginning. So, the more you know who you are, the more you know who God is. The more you know who God is, the, know you, the more you know who you are. As your revelation of God increases, your understanding of self increases. The more you understand yourself, the more you understand God. Why? Because you are God and God is you. <gasps> Bishop, yes, that's, uh, that is true. You're not capital G God, sovereign of the universe, but you're God. And you're going to have to someday get comfortable with, if not saying it out loud, believing it in your heart. It's such a waste of energy to say, I'm trying to be more like Jesus. No, it's, you're going in the wrong direction. Remove everything that you think is not like Jesus. And what remains is what's already in you. It's all, you're already wired for this. You know one thing I've loved about these meditation weekends? We've done 19 of them. I love it because with, even with this, like where we're going next weekend, I went ahead and reserved a room at the... We're staying at a comfort inn, and I reserved a meeting room there because probably in the fall, an early morning meeting might be a little too chilly. So I've got that to fall back on. If it's a super beautiful day next Saturday, we'll or next Sunday, we'll go outside. I've got a little. We're going to a little park by a river, L.J. River. But um, the lady said, "What what are you what are you looking for?" I said, "It's a meditation group, and I just need to." I said, that room would actually be the size if I can collapse those tables and just put the chairs in a circle. She's, oh, that sounds really cool. I'd like to, I'd like to see what you're doing. Every time we have said meditation weekend, that's been the response. I guarantee you if I said, it's a Bible study group. That's going to trigger somebody because somebody, somebody's like, which Bible you reading? Because Bible, there's 45,000 Christian denominations. So a Bible study group, could be problematic. My stepson married a woman yesterday whose father's a Southern Baptist minister. We didn't know he was, 
we didn't know until we got there. He was he was marrying them. <laughs> I was sitting by Ken. I said, is he a preacher? He said, apparently. I didn't know. <laughs> and Southern, nothing against Southern Baptist, but that could be a problem with <laughs> why, why is this man here with you? Why, why is he in the pictures? Because Ken took a picture with his son's mother, and Lisa and I are good with each other. That was fine. And then they motioned me over to get my picture, and I'm like, you sure? I want to be sure. You sure? You know, before I schlep all the way over there, and somebody said, the Bible says it's an abomination. I'm like, oh, I know what the Bible says, baby. I'm just here to be at the wedding. I, if, if you'll notice, I didn't... I'm not waving a gay flag. I'm not, I'm not even going, I, I came here to raise some conscience. No, I'm just here as, you know, for my stepson. And, um, amazingly, now I'm sure if we got into a lengthy conversation, there would be some pitfall somewhere. But before and after he and I sat and talked and we exchanged, um, I, I didn't know beforehand. I didn't realize he. I saw he had a uh, like a notepad thing with him, but I, I didn't realize he was going to do the service because it's kind of come late in his life. And um, so I was telling him we were talking about where we were. It was it was a beautiful old Victorian house, but it's way out in the middle of nowhere. And I was telling him, I said, you know, one of the greatest things when I go to one of these remote weddings is GPS, because I've done weddings for so many years that they're out by a river on a mountain and I can't find it and, you know, the, the show can't go on until I get there. And people texting me, where are you? Where are you? I'm like, I can't find you. Where are you? And uh, at least with GPS, as long as your phone's working, you can find where this place is. Um, so I was telling them all that. We, there was no, he had to have known who we are. And there was none of that. And my last words with him last night, we stared and waited till the couple left, and we all saw them off. And he said, he said, if y'all ever need anything, you come out and see us, you call us. I said, well, don't tell us that. We might come up and take you up. And he said, well, you're family now. And I thought, in the beginning was the Word. That's before some, probably some differences we would have in interpretation. But to his credit, because, you know, he's, Doing the whole wedding, talking about God created male and female, and, and I'm like, right, that's fine, you know. And I've been in a few weddings where somebody decided to, you know, give me a tutorial on sexuality. You know, I'm like, please don't say God made Adam and Steve, not Adam and Steve. Please, please, please don't say it. But he didn't. I'm like, no, it's cool. I mean, I'm. Do you still believe in heterosexual marriage for heterosexuals? Yes. Heterosexuality is not in any danger whatsoever. It's not going anywhere. Heterosexuality is alive and well. Well, I saw a bunch of drag queens on TV. It baby, it doesn't matter. I promise you, nobody's be converted. Well, I think if my son saw it, he might want, I promise you, if he's not already inclined to do that, there's not enough drag shows he could watch that would make him want to. It's just not, that's not the way it works. You are who you are. When I've had this conversation with people before, I said, when, when did you know, said to me, when did you know you like girls? Oh, early on. I said, right. Did you have to say, I'm going to try 
to be attracted to it. No, it's just one. It was innate. It was all, it was just in you. Do you know why I'm, I'm not quite the freest man in the world yet, but I'm, it's a city set on a hill. I'm, I'm approaching it. Because when it pleased the Lord who separated me from a lot of teaching I had growing up to reveal his son in me, I realized, oh, God's been okay with me all along. I was chosen him for the foundation of the world. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So once I got rid of everything that all the stone was moved away that was not the angel, I'm like, oh, I'm good. God's good. God's good. I'm good. I'm good with God. God's good with me. That's why if you want to throw some Bible verses at me, I'm like, right, I, I know. That's... But don't preface it with God says, no, baby. That's what Moses said. That's what Paul said. That's what John said. There was a lot of God in the things they said, but even the, if every one of them materialized right before your eyes, I promise you they would back me up on this. They would say, not everything we said was the Word of God. I think the Bible writers would be astounded at modern bibliolatry. I think they would be like, really? You, you took that way too seriously. I was trying to figure it out 6,000 years ago, and you know, I hit a little bit of it, but there's, a, you know, y'all didn't evolve at all since, since then. And then finally, Petrarch says this, love is the crowning grace of humanity, the holiest right of the soul, the golden link which binds us to duty and truth, the redeeming principle that chiefly reconciles the heart to life and is prophetic of eternal good. Why did Jesus say in John chapter 13, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another? And he said it while he was still wet from washing their feet. Because was he trying to teach them something? No, he loved them. He loved those men. He said, I could have borne the betrayal, but it came from a friend. That's, that made it more difficult. After the resurrection, he goes to Peter on the beach and he says, before I sin, I got to know, do you love me? Don't make it any more profound than it was. It was just love with, with at the, at the last supper with great joy. I've, uh, great anticipation. I've anticipated to uh, eat this Passover with you. Why? Because he loved them. They were his homies. They were his, his guys. Even when he knew, he said, one of you is going to betray me and one, one of you is going to deny me. But I love you. And by this shall all men, not that you can raise the dead, not that you can call fire down from heaven, but that you love one another. The greatest miracle you will ever manifest is to love. Because in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was love. God is the Word, God is love. It's, it's not any more, it's so uncomplicated that it's profound. And we have made it way more complicated. Last night, I'm, I'm not going to say who, but when we were driving, we were leaving the reception and 
somebody who used to go to church in the now for many years texted me and said, I just need to let you know she's, I'm losing. She was saying her husband of many years was in ICU and is probably not going to make it through the night. And she said, I, I have other pastors. She texted me, she said, I have other pastors, but I wanted you to know. Well, I called her immediately. And in two or three seconds, we were both crying on the phone. And this is a relationship that back in the day did not end all that well. So as we were, I was ministering to her, and we got really real. And I said, I said, look, there's some things years ago I didn't handle right. And she immediately, she says, I don't care anything about that. All I cared about is hearing your voice. I, I wanted to hear your voice right now. Because I go to this other church, but you're my pastor. And in this thing, I had to hear you. And we, after we cried and sobbed, I said, all right, straighten up, go in there. I said, is he coherent at all? She says, no, they've already put him on. He's, I said, well, at least go speak to his spirit and tell him that you talked to me and that I love him. I always loved him. And just be at peace and don't, don't suffer anymore. And it was beautiful. But my point is, when I said, I wish I had handled something differently years ago. She said, I don't care anything. Why? Because in that moment when you're losing a loved one, all of that bull S doesn't matter. Because all the stuff, you're being separated from your mother's womb. Do you understand? When it pleased the Lord who removed everything from me that was trivial, temporal, didn't matter. What really matters is right this, this honest moment that we're, it forced us to have a conversation we probably should have had 15 years ago. But last night, there was no, it wasn't like, it wasn't like she called me and said, we need to get something straight. It was, and she's sobbing. She said, you're the only voice I could think of that I wanted to hear. And sometimes it takes something like that when you're, Everything is stripped away that is not God. I see the angel in the stone and I remove everything that's not the angel. I see God in the Scriptures and I remove everything that's not God. Are you saying, Amen? Are you saying there's some things in the Scripture that are not God? Yes, it's not rocket science. Rightly dividing. You take the chisel and you think, God's in there somewhere. I got to cut through, you know, Paul's misogyny and <laughs> Moses' nonsense and, you know, all these hidden agendas and what, like, but I'm going to get down to it. I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to find God. Because it's all in there. And sometimes those, and, when we got home last night, somebody else who I have no issue with, but somebody that I knew many years ago, who I've known for many years, who texted me and said, uh, I lost my only child today. Can, can you call me? And uh, I mean, this is, whew, this is an intense day. And there's a part of me that said, I have to call her tomorrow. And I said, no, let's go and do it. And it was, that was a much shorter conversation. But she said, I just... I know I don't see you anymore, but I just needed you to know this. You know what? Stuff like that doesn't even bother me anymore. 
there was a time I would have said, my sheep know my voice. Now I'm like, you know what? That's a hurting person who I had some investment in. And I got nothing to prove to them. I don't need to, you know, I don't need, they don't need a lecture. Well, I've been at Metron for nine years. You've never come with like, that's ridiculous. So that I'm trying to take inventory of anything in me that's not the God part. And I want to remove it. Um, Like I said earlier, instead of asking why is this happening, ask what am I supposed to learn from this? And the learning is to chip away a little bit more so that what's left is God. You know, there's nothing sadder to me than seeing an elderly person who didn't evolve. Like you see somebody like they're in their 70s, 80s, 90s, you can tell they're still bitter and mad. You think, oh, it's... I'm so sad for you. You were supposed to have learned your stuff. You get to a certain point. If if you age correctly, you're supposed to say, yeah, I went through some stuff, but it it doesn't matter now. All's all's well that is well. That's where you're supposed... If you're you're 70, 80, 90, and you're still bitter and mad, like, oh, baby, you you didn't do it right. Because you're supposed to... You're supposed to get to a place where you're like, eh, whatever. Whatever. I mean, last night, I'm, I'm telling too much, but, uh, you know, everybody was dancing with different people. And, and uh, so I told Ken, I said, why don't you go ask Lisa to dance? He said, I'm going to do that. I said, well, you're the, it's, he's, Brandon's y'all's son. Go dance with her. I don't care. I'm not going to go dance <laughs> I said, well, I'm just telling you, if you want to, it's totally fine with me. I'm good with it. Um, because who cares? You know what I mean? I want to be so evolved that, honestly, I had already said to myself last night uh, when they were doing the family pictures, because there's a picture with Ken and his ex-wife and his boys and his granddaughters. And uh, I had already said to myself, if I don't get called over to any of these pictures, it's fine. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess up his night, because he's so excited about, you know, like I, I don't want to be that guy that makes that's gonna be your memory of this evening is that I'm pissed off about something. And I told him, I said, go take the pictures, just so you know, I don't have any agenda about the pictures. And that's why after he took his with her, then. I noticed Brandon was doing that, and I'm like, me? Are you sure? <laughs> not that I'm paranoid, not that I'm insecure. I, before I walk all the way over there, and you say, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. But I was so happy that it wouldn't have mattered to me either way. Um. You know, when you've had some stuff in your life, you you acknowledge, like even, it's been nearly a year ago, but my, my cousin, who I don't see very often, but he, he, got mar- he got married again last year, and he invited me and actually asked me to sing, and I went and sang It's the Anointing, and it turned out I, I don't like to have to sing that song, but that's what he asked for. I said, you know it's not a wedding song, but that's what you want, fine. 
And it turned out to be a really great experience. And I'm sitting at a table full of family members, some of who are cool with me, some of who are not. And like, it is what it is. And he's on staff at a church of God, a Cleveland, Tennessee church of God. And that's where he's getting married. And while they're taking pictures at the end, uh, somebody said, hey, uh, your cousin's motioning you over. I said, what? He said, you, you and Ken. I said, y'all want a picture with us? Yeah. And I want to say, isn't this where you work? Because that wouldn't have occurred if 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 they hadn't asked us to take a picture with them, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have I'm I wouldn't have even thought of it. No, and I I called him later. So I just want you to know that meant a lot to me that you you acknowledged that I'm your cousin and this is my actual relationship, my actual marriage, and there was and I noticed the ceiling didn't fall in. Nobody turned gay. <laughs> Nobody caught it. But it was just like a little gesture. It's like that was a little moment of, oh, that felt like love. That felt like in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was love. Before we, before we learned all these reasons why we don't like each other, inside, like we, we didn't know how to be racist. We weren't born racist. Somebody had to write that on us. Inside, everybody is a completely tolerant person. You didn't learn misogyny. You didn't learn uh, xenophobia. All these things are things that you learned later on. You, like in the, the song in South Pacific, you have to be carefully taught. It's not innate. I remember one time, I'm coming to an end, but um, we, when I worked with my dad, we had 12 grades of an academy. And uh, one day I was trying to find somebody that was one of our K-4 teachers, and I went in, the, uh, I went in to ask and ask the, see the teacher, and the, the little kid said, um, she isn't here today, but somebody else is here. I said, what, what does she look like? And they couldn't describe her to me. I said, is she, is she white or black? And all these little four-year-olds were completely blank. And this is a diverse, it's black and white kids in there. And they're like, I can tell they had no concept of that. And I, how do I, I didn't even try to explain. I said, was she black or white? They were like, I said, never mind, I'll find her. Because I thought, I want to preserve this little pure moment that you have. Because something's going to happen down the road where somebody's going to tell you what the difference is. But right now, you don't know that. So I'm going to celebrate this because in the beginning, why do you think Jesus picked up a child one day and he put that child in the middle of all of them? And he said, all you doctors and lawyers and theologians, unless you become like one of these children, you have no idea who God is. Because kids don't know. You remember when you were a kid, you beat up the kid next door and, and y'all playing together the next, like, there's no, you know, you have to learn how to hold grudges. You have to learn how to take things personally. You have to, I mean, that doesn't come naturally. You came in with a perfectly healthy self-esteem. 
You had to be told in the beginning was you. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were less than? Because you were in the beginning with God. Did you get anything out of this today? Let's all stand. Just let that word marinate a little bit. Let it, let yourself have a selah. The word out of the Psalms means pause and calmly think of that. We let that abide in us which we heard from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. We embrace our eternalness. We embrace our I amness. We embrace our nowness. If if you want to, just just raise your hand and just receive it. Just make your just make yourself receptive, a receptacle to this truth. Get it into your mind and receive it. All right. Somebody, what did you hear today? Real quick. Sonia? What I heard today, you know, there was, there was a couple of things that you said that really resonated with me today. You know, when you said about loving yourself, and it's all tied together. You know, in order for you to love yourself now, and you were saying about how when you hear some things and, and with Eddie about those points in life that even though you move past those things, you have to love those points too. You have to remember that you love those points. They're not all bad, right. but you love those points enough to love them now. So when you see totally. them, you love them. But Bishop, years ago, years, years, years ago, listening to you, um, I used to, I had this, I had this one thought, this one thought, and it, it's, it's taken a while, but you confirmed it today. I've always believed that when God knocks, when Jesus knocks, he knocks within your heart. Yeah. He don't knock, he's not out there waiting right. for you. So. It's saying I'm here. It's saying I'm here. He's walking around within us waiting for us to accept him from the inside out. So, you know, when, when, when we see our children and people and things that's going around and all that, and say, he's just sitting there, just waiting for that person to recognize that he's just been walking within us this entire time. I love it. I love it. Ross, what you say? That muscle illustration was everything. Yeah. 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 It's all in you. It's all in you. When you're dealing with younger people, um, and you, you can only get in there, drop the knowledge, and yeah, 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 because yeah. they're always swiping. Yeah. And so that's perfect. Good. Yeah. I'm going to create something. Sure. 
Good. Jim, you know this, but the two calls you referred to that called you yesterday evening, when we help heal others, we actually heal ourselves. Yes. yes. We, yeah. we know that. And yes. also, with the little fellow that was a no-show, he's our son. He's our brother. Yeah. I would yeah. hope everybody would have loving kindness Absolutely. for yes. whatever yes. that yes. is. Absolutely. Whatever that is. Because we don't know. Yeah. We don't know why I have no doubt today, so we it just was don't a God thing yes. that I saw him playing a year ago. And yeah. No, today. Be loved. In I'm that telling situation. you, it's all good. Yeah. It's yes. All right, let's play this outro. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. I love that guy. You may also visit missionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. If you have a check, just make it to JESM and uh, Avery will get it. If you have cash, just pay it forward. Uh, I just saw you on my watch. Thank you. I just saw your cash app. Thank you. Um, good. Now remember, next Sunday, don't come here. Come to LJ. I love you. Go in peace.